From that very first bite of the apple, we have been acting all too human. Ashamed of our bodies, Adam and Eve hide because they realize they're naked. Blaming other people for our problems, (laughs) Adam says, the woman beguiled me. The woman says, the snake tricked me. And the snake, well, the snake isn't human, so the snake's got to kind of take the blame in this one. <laughs> However, as we know, Adam and Eve, both and us, as a result, get punished, and one would say for all time, because of what we so fondly learned uh, when we were young, something called original sin. Now, if you grew up like me, uh, in any way, original sin was something that kind of was used to beat you up about, you know? This is original sin, and this is why you behave this way, and you are a bad person from birth. In fact, St. Augustine talked about original sin, and he said, you can tell original sin is real, because when you see a baby sucking at the breast, and you take it away or do something else, it looks at you with hatred. So, (laughs) apparently even babies have original sin. So, You know, growing up as I did, confused about my sexuality and all of that, um, I thought original sin was basically, you're going to hell. You know, nothing to do about that. And I lived in that for about six years until I finally realized, you know, I've got to deal with this. So I'm not generally a fan of original sin, but actually, um, today I'm going to defend it for a moment, just for a minute, because I think there is value in it. First of all, the story of Adam and Eve, many people, if not most, now see that as a sort of a myth, but some people see it as fact, right? And what I would say is a phrase I will probably often use from this pulpit. It may or may not have happened, but let me tell you why it's true. And why I say that is I think there is some real usefulness to that concept of original sin. And it's simply this. We're human beings... And we fall short, and we can't help it. Like, who here outside of Anne Louise is perfect? (laughs) Nobody, right? We all have, try as we might, right? We all have a way in which we fall short, and it is dismaying to us. And in a way, it's a comfort to say, you know what? It's original sin. I'm human, right? I'm going to be fallible. And in that, we turn to God. We turn to Christ. We ask for forgiveness of those whom we have wronged. And so, in a way, I think original sin is useful because not that it takes us, gets us off the hook, but it helps us acknowledge, you know what, we're human. Look around you in, in history as well. Have we ever been perfect? Maybe in rare flashes here and there, St. Francis or something. But... Um, So I almost want to say, instead of having original sin kind of beat us over the head with, you are bad and you are unworthy and you are wicked, make a friend of original sin. Say, you know what? You're right. I'm actually not going to be perfect, like ever. And so for that reason, I'm going to kind of forgive myself from the start, but then keep trying to do better, right? Repent and do better. Repent and do better. It's maybe a never-ending cycle. Only... Perhaps in the afterlife, we'll all be revealed and brought together and forgiveness bestowed. We believe in a God of mercy. We believe in a God that doesn't look at justice 
and have that be the final arbiter of our fate. So that is what we pray for. And in the meantime, we have original sin almost as a guide. So that is maybe one, the one and only time I will be a fan of original sin at this pulpit. There you have it. There are two other points I wanted to bring up. Both are in the gospel. And both are just phrases that have struck me over the years. One is when Jesus talks about, he says, Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So when I was a teenager and reading the Bible or hearing this passage, I kind of freaked out. Does anyone, does anyone remember this passage growing up? And you're like, what is the sin against the Holy Spirit? Have I done it? Will I never be forgiven? Like, what is it? And I never got a good answer. So for you, I spent some time with, because I couldn't find a, a solid answer. Um, I spent some time with the International Critical Commentary. This is on Matthew. I don't have Mark, but there's a parallel passage about the, the unforgivable sin. And after about five pages of incomprehensible scholarship, to me, with Latin and Greek and Hebrew thrown in, I, <laughs> I came to the final sentence uh, of these peoples trying to figure out what this is. And uh, the final sentence is three words long. We remain stumped. <laughs> so if the scholars remain stumped and cannot figure out what it is that is the unforgivable sin of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to sort of beg ignorance as well. I will say that in this reading, I think what Jesus means is the scribes are accusing his holy work as being the work of the devil. And so it's basically denying the, the, the goodness of the Holy Spirit is what is perhaps the unforgivable sin in this context. They won't see the miracles happening before them. Like I talked, I talked about this last week with the withered hand. You know, they see him healing someone with a withered hand and rather than say, oh my gosh, it's a miracle, they say, it's the Sabbath. Why are you healing a hand? Similarly, he's exercising demons and they don't see the miracle in that, but what they see is he must be the devil. So, I would say to you, as long as it even concerns you that you might be sinning against the Holy Spirit and you're trying to be good, I think you're going to be all right. I don't think sinning against the Holy Spirit. I think it's something you've got to deliberately do. Okay? You're not going to accidentally fall into an unforgivable sin. So I'm going to kind of go back and tell my teenage self, and perhaps all of you, let's not worry about it too much, but let's keep trying to do good. Repent. Fail. Ask forgiveness. Repent. Fail. So, same cycle. And then the third thing I want to bring up, this is also in the Gospel Jesus is talking about, you know, they call him Beelzebul. He says, why would Satan come in and cast out his own demons, right? That's like he's fighting against himself. He'd rather keep them in there, you know. Rather what's happening is Satan's kind of the strong man in the house, and Jesus is the burglar who comes in, ties up Satan, and then plunders, brings back the, the people who are in that sinful house, and brings them to salvation. That's what that is, in case you didn't understand that whole burglar business. So Jesus is the one, because this is a strange kind of a, like there are seven things in this gospel passage, right? I, don't, I may not even get into the mother and brother thing, but um, 
Satan's the strong man. Jesus is the, is the burglar. And he's coming in to save the souls. But he's got to tie up that strong man. So there's no way he's the devil casting out the devil. But in his talking about that, he says, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Satan divided against Satan cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And a couple of things going on in the world and in my life I just want to kind of comment on. When I hear a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, I think of our country. And I'm thinking how perhaps never in my lifetime, in my consciousness, have we been kind of more divided against each other and kind of pounding against each other verbally and ethically and morally. Um, and are we going to be able to stand it, you know, or will we somehow fall? Or is this the beginning of a, of a long, slow decline? So um, I've been thinking about that. Of course, I don't have the answer for you. But I will say, and I say it all the time, and it's hard because I'm human too. If you demonize the people you disagree with, you shut out all possibility for remaining united. Whatever side of the political divide you are on, whatever side of any issue you are on, um, immigration, police violence, the, the economy, if you demonize the other side, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard not to, I will say that. Um, but there's got to be a way because we're all only human and we've got to love each other. I was just in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and um, some of my own prejudices about the South came up. Some of my fears, when you hear that accent all around you, I'm thinking like, uh-oh, something's going to happen. I'm brown-skinned, nicest people, you know. So we're all human, and that's a good thing as well. And we've got to find a way, and you're not going to hear the answer from this pulpit today, to not be a kingdom divided against itself. Or buck that trend, you know. Find someone you disagree with in your life and say, you know, I'm so sorry we disagree, but I still love you. And maybe that's going to be an opening, okay? It's easy for me to say up here. Some of you might have a difficult family relative person in your life. So that's the message. Finally... This is what happens when I don't have a script. I, the sermons are longer, so. <laughs> a house divided against itself cannot stand. So uh, this is sort of a personal story. Hopefully it's not oversharing. Um, so as you, m many of you know, my mother died on Easter Day. And um, she lived with my oldest sister, Maria. There are five of us kids. Oldest sister, Maria, and middle child, Felix. And Felix was her caretaker for the last 15 years. He basically stopped working and just kind of took care of her all those years. Maria was the breadwinner, making sure that all three of them in the household got fed and kept the house and all of that. So when my mother died, um, actually when she was alive, how do I say this? Uh, my brother and sister's lives were basically taken up and caring for her. And so... The frustration I think they felt at not being able to have their own lives, they couldn't take out on her, because she was sick and she was mom. They took out on each other. So there was a lot of enmity all that time. And when my mother died, it's kind of exploded a bit. Um, my brother, for whom this was basically his life, now doesn't know what to do with himself and does not accept that she's gone even. He won't let them get rid of the wheelchair she used to use and give it to someone who needs it in the family. Um, he keeps talking about how we still could have saved her. So he's in that space of anger and 
guilt and um, also just feeling lost. You know, what do I do with my life now and who am I? My sister in the meantime, and I completely understand this, she said to me on the phone yesterday, she said, I have never felt this free in my life. She has been, she's carried the family's stuff on her shoulders for 40 years. You know, my father was around, but a whole other story. Um, so she really carried a lot of responsibility. And for the first time, she doesn't have all of that. And so my brother sees her kind of happiness as she, she's glad he's dead. So I tell you all these stories because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And like perhaps with many of you, when our parents die, there is that question and that worry that the siblings aren't going to kind of stick together, which we'll is kind of separate and fade off into the sunset because it was mom who was the spoke of the wheel that kept us together. And so my concern for my family is that that house is divided against itself and that we may at some level not be able to stand. And so my message to you is any divisiveness you might have in your life and in your family or with friendships, again, God wants us as one. The house is huge. It's not to be broken up. And so in any small way that you can mend fences, um, I think you are doing the work of God. And we are human, and we are frail, and we have our own feelings. But we are called to be united, to recognize that we are human and will fail, but ask for repentance, and to not worry so much as long as we're doing our best, that we are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but we are doing our best. So God bless us, and may, <laughs> may we know that we are beloved children of God, and that everyone we meet is as well. Amen. Amen.